Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Today I have someone with me who I've known since I was in middle school, but admittedly, like we were just talking about, I haven't known you very well. We all have kind of people in our lives, I feel like, that we know through the internet, and then the next tier of people are folks who we knew as kids and now we know as internet friends. And so this is my guest today, Amanda Brown, who I know actually as Amanda Wilkes, and she probably knows me as Emily Lester. Yeah. Amanda's story caught my eye over the last year, and I'm just so grateful that she's willing to share it today. It's powerful and compelling. It hits close to home for women in our season of life, women our age, women who are mothering, and she's just done a profound job of communicating both the hard stuff and the beautiful stuff that God's done through it all. So with that, Amanda, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. You're going to make me cry at the beginning. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) I'm so excited that you're doing this. So, Amanda, you're from Broken Arrow, where I'm from. And I was thinking, you know, we graduated with like 1,200 people. So to even know a handful of people is really something. But it's cool to have known you for that long. And then were we at OU together? I believe so. I went there for undergrad. Did all my schooling there right after Broken Arrow. and then. What was your career before having kiddos? I'm a radiation therapist. So I actually deliver radiation treatment to patients with cancer. So that's what I've done. That's what I went to school and got my degree in. And I, when I had kids and then I, we had twins, I decided to step back a little bit. And now I just work and cover vacations. So it's this perfect oh, cool. little blend of getting a lot of home time and still getting to work at the occupation that I love and went to school for and still have those relationships with my coworkers. Another point of connection is, Amanda, I remember when you had your twins, because I think your boys are just a little bit younger than my twins. So tell us about your family. Who's your husband? Tell me about your kids. So my husband's name is Caleb. We met at OU. We met our junior year. And then we started dating. We we dated a really long time. And we've been married 10 years now. And we live in Brooks Marrow. He is a physical therapist in Tulsa. And we have three kids. Bella is our oldest. She's six, almost seven. And she's in kindergarten, finishing up kindergarten. And then we have twin boys that are, they look nothing alike. They act nothing alike, but (laughs) they're the perfect little ending to our little family. And they're four and a half. So they'll start pre-K next year. I love it. Twins are the best. They are the best. And people think we're crazy, but it's like, no, they're just so perfect. (laughs) So wonderful. Yes. So that means they're fraternal, right? Yes. 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 Okay. So kind of okay. like your family, an older sister with yeah. then your twin. So 
Yeah, I I love the setup. I mean, I'm partial to it, but it's not, I didn't have much choice in it. Same, right? Yeah, but it's been good. I also kind of feel like when you meet another twin mom, I don't know if this has been your experience. I meet another twin mom, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, we're friends because we but we just, we just get it. For sure. Yeah. Well, Amanda, as you start to share your story a little bit, I wonder if you could first tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what that was like, and how you first encountered God. So I grew up in Broken Arrow. My parents still live in the same house that I grew up in a couple miles from us and lived there my whole life. And I first built my relationship with God started my relationship with God in elementary school and fourth grade. I had a best friend that kind of introduced me to God. And then it wasn't until high school, end of middle school, high school, that the church I began going to with my best friend, there were several adults that were just phenomenal in their way of discipling younger, younger mm-hmm. kids or just the youth. And because of them, that's how I truly learned how to start studying the Bible, memorizing scripture, you know, hiding his words in my heart. And then that laid the foundation of truth for me. And that's when I felt that I really started connecting with the relationship part of being with Jesus. Awesome. That's so cool. That's really part of my story, too, is just people at the church that were intentional with me. My parents are believers too. And that's obviously a big part of my story too. But there's something about, I think at that age, having other people outside of your parents pour into you in a way to think, man, they must really, these are not just my mom and dad trying to raise me right. These people are living it out. And that's really attractive. Cool. And tell me a little bit about what your faith has been like through becoming a mom. And in this kind of season of late 20s, early 30s, how has it evolved as you've grown? After college, we just met several people pretty early on. I had a few friends, plus Kayla, back here in Tulsa, and they invited us to church, and the church had a decent-sized young adult group, and we got plugged in really quickly to that. And so that was really important. And I've actually been in the same community group with some of those people for over 10 years now. And so I guess just from after college to now, those relationships have been just foundational for me and my faith and us going through all these seasons together of being single, getting married, having kids, being crazy and not knowing what to do in life because... We have kids and don't have sleep and (laughs) all those things. And so they, you know, they were with us while we had Bella and the boys. And then now we're in this different season. So these friends of ours have gone through all these important stages of life with us. And we've done community group with them where we've met once a week for, again, all these years. And we've studied different things, but more than just studying God's word, we've lived, lived our faith with these people. They see us at our worst, our best, you know, all the things, done all the fun activities. Our kids are friends with each other. And that's been really important in my 
in my journey with Christ because I feel like this, these core people are the church with Caleb and I and our family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really, I feel like kind of unique to have been together that long too. You know, in those early years, I feel like people come and go. Yeah. So that's, that's so special. So I know you know this, and on the podcast, I usually invite people to tell a story about a particular season or an event or even just like a theme, that thread line that they see that God has in their story. And so when I saw you sharing about your journey in this past year with a cancer diagnosis and surgery and recovery and all of those things, I wanted to ask you to do this. And I think I told you over the phone that I told Dustin, my husband, I kind of want to ask Amanda Wilkes, because, you know, that's what we call you at our house. (laughs) Kind of want to ask her to do the podcast, and but I'm nervous. And he was like, do it right now. (laughs) I I love that. Yeah. He was like, just message her right now. And so it's really Dustin's fault. And I'm very grateful. (laughs) Well, thank you, Um, Dustin. (laughs) He's going to get a little shout out. So I'm very grateful you're here. And the way that we kind of walk through these interviews is I ask people to sort of start at the beginning and tell their story, what happened. And then we'll talk a little bit about how you were thinking and feeling at the time that it happened. And then kind of end with what now? What? How does this still matter in your story that God's authoring? So would you start at the beginning and tell us a little bit about what your cancer diagnosis, what led to it, just what happened initially? Sure. So in February, February 14th, Valentine's Day of last year, I woke up, took all the kids to school, um, maybe not the boys, I can't remember, but I, I remember getting Bella off to school and feeling different from the time I left the house to the time I was coming home and just feeling different in my face and her looking in the mirror and I don't know how I just knew, but I called my husband and I said, Caleb, I think I'm getting more palsy. My face is not working right. And mm. about a week prior to that, I started having a little bit of some earache where I thought I was getting an ear infection. Wasn't horrible. And then the night prior, I had a little bit of different taste in my mouth when I would eat. And I just didn't associate it with anything. It's winter. I have horrible allergies and didn't think anything of it. And then from the time I dropped Bella off at school to a couple hours later, I had complete paralysis of the right side of my face. And so by the end of the night, I couldn't blink with my right eye or it was staying open. My eye wouldn't close properly. I had the droop on the entire side of my face. and this horrible pain around my ear. So learning more about the palsy, it all comes from your facial nerve, which is why all of those things are involved. And so, you know, at that point, I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, this hurts. I feel horrible. It was a long day. And that day, Valentine's Day, kind of the beginning of all of this story and the healing process that I started going through. So. If you've had or know of anyone that's had Bell's palsy, doctors don't really give you much information. There's not a lot of research. It's just kind of here, take these meds initially and kind of wait and hope. 
Mm -hmm. and it'll get better and your nerve just has to heal. So a lot of things can trigger both fuzzy, but again, there's just not a lot of, there's no standard or why I would get it at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So for almost six weeks, I didn't feel like I was healing much at all. I was doing all the things and I just didn't feel like I was getting better. But even at the time when I went and met with my primary care doctor, they had asked for referral to a neurologist, an ENT, and to get an MRI. Because also, several years ago after I had the boys, I also got facial shingles. And again, that's all nerve related. And so mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, I'm young. I want to know if there's anything underlying going on that I would get. She facial shingles and both palsy within a short time frame. I just wanted to cover all my bases. I work in the medical field. I just, you kind of have to be your own advocate with things like that. And so I wanted to make sure I covered all my bases. And up until that point, I still wasn't having a lot of recovery. Mm-hmm. So then I met with a neurologist. She ordered an MRI for me. And so I went and had my MRI. And of course, I'm thinking, I asked for a disc. I took my disc home. I looked at it. I didn't see anything out of the ordinary. I took it to work. I had a couple of coworkers look at it and we just, we just didn't see anything. And I didn't have my report. That was the one thing that I hadn't read what the doctor had seen. But they did call me back in to go get a CT later on that week. And then I also had my ENT appointment before that. So I hadn't received any phone calls from the doctor, but I did go to my ENT appointment. And at that appointment, he is saying, okay, well, your belt's palsy. Based on your MRI, it doesn't look like it was caused by anything related to hearing that he could see. My hearing was going to be fine. I would recover. He says, but isn't it crazy that you got belt's palsy, got an MRI, and then you find this other thing? And I'm thinking, what other thing? I haven't, I I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, you don't know about the math? And I said, nope. So he got to be the lucky one to tell me that I had a math in my brain that was seen on the MRI. And so he pulled it up. He's phenomenal. He pulled it up. He lets me see it. He lets me read the report because he has the report. And of course, I'm there by myself because it's just in my thought, this ENT appointment, we're going to check my hearing and hopefully everything's fine. So he's great. I end the appointment and I call Caleb. Caleb works at a spine and specialty hospital where he works with neurosurgeons and he's actually has really good rapport with a few of them. So I take Caleb my disc of the MRI, show him the report because I had taken a picture with my phone. And by the end of the day, I'm talking with a neurosurgeon about what's going on in my brain because you can see a brain mass, a brain tumor. And I mean, I'm just devastated because I, again, I work in radiation therapy. I work with people with cancer all day, every day. Mm -hmm. I treat brain lesion and I in a way, know too much (laughs) or Mm -hmm. know 
know a lot about some scenarios. I absolutely don't know everything, but in my head, I know what I've seen at work and have studied. So that was very hard. And then speaking with the neurosurgeon that evening was, it was comforting, you know, it's comforting to know that here we are again, God is already weaving himself into the story with mine and my husband's occupation. And we have this support group of people that are going to be the best to take care of this. So it was very quick that we found out and then got the ball rolling to move forward. Amanda, as you're saying all of this, I'm just thinking about how hard it is as a mom of young children to make a phone call or to like text people back. And so Mm -hmm. I just like, I'm, I'm just imagining you not feeling well, having like experiencing active, difficult symptoms, and then all of these appointments, all the, you know, then this blow of new information that you weren't expecting and all of that kind of with the undercurrent of taking care of your people. So I just wonder what that was like, if you can remember, reflect on what you were thinking and feeling about the kids as you're juggling all of this. And I imagine people stepping in to help you with all of that too. Absolutely. I mean, we could not have done any of it from the beginning of the Bell's Palsy without our people. My my mom watches the kids all the time when I have appointments. And all of our family stepped up. Our friends are offering to help in any way, of course. And then my thoughts are automatically going to the kids. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, my kids now have the mom with a brain tumor. I'm recovering from Bell's Palsy. and just to throw this out there too, our kids phenomenal in their love. I my looks changed dramatically at the flip of a coin and they act like nothing happened. I mean, they obviously know that something's different about mom, but they're just as affectionate, just as loving. They have some questions, but they just have this perfect this perfect love, this unconditional love from Jesus in their heart, like from the get-go. And it was just a beautiful picture. And I needed that because I i will admit I'm a vain person and my faith does not look like the faith I knew a week ago at this point. And here I am walking around, living life now, learning, you know, taking care of who I am this new person, this new look with all these new symptoms and my kids just act like it's just a new day. But they were at the forefront of my mind. Caleb was at the forefront of my mind the entire time of the future. It was really easy for me to think day by day. One thing through the Bell's palsy is that I did start trusting God and learning and that that idea of asking God for your daily bread, asking him for your daily manna, just provide for today, I tomorrow's tomorrow. And so that had been a constant theme since the Bell's Palsy started. And I know that that was intentional from God. He eased me into this, this season of suffering, this season of hardship, because he knew I wouldn't be able to handle it all at once. And so he just eased me into it and started teaching me things from the get-go. And so 
I just, with the kids, started thinking that same way. Today's the most important day with my children. Tomorrow is not. Next year is that. Ten years from now is that. Today. Today's the day I can make a difference. The day I can help mold them and shape them and help their little hearts understand love and Jesus and all of the things better. And so that was just my outlook. And of course, it was never always that easy because it sounds easy to say it now, but it was a struggle every day. But for me, with them, if I thought any further in the future, it was hard for me. So I just had to keep things kind of simple and focus on day by day, daily bread. Get me mm-hmm. through today, Jesus, and they worry about tomorrow tomorrow. <laughs> I remember walking around my backyard the day we found out I had the tumor. The kids are playing, and I'm on the phone with the surgeon and just thinking, okay, we can do this. Today, we can handle this. I don't know if I'll be able to handle it tomorrow, but today I'm in a good space. <laughs> and so. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. So tell me what happened after you talked to the neurosurgeons. What was next? So after I spoke with them, we, we made an appointment to see him. He's a doctor that works with Caleb. And then I was scheduled to work later that week. And so I took all my, I took my scan to work and talked to my doctor, my radiation oncologist, and got their perspective. And they were able to look up neurosurgeons also and found the doctor I ended up using as my surgeon, Ian Dunn in Oklahoma City. So my tumor was at the kind of the back of my brain, by my brain stem, by my cerebellum, not in the frontal part that we kind of recognize as our brain a lot of times. So it's kind of a tricky spot since it is by your spinal cord and going through the back of the skull versus the side. It's a lot of, you know, trickier areas to get to. So that was his specialty area. Dr. Dunn in Oklahoma City was his specialty. And so that was really promising. So within the next, I mean, my doctor at work sent a referral in to him. And I think within a couple of weeks, we had an appointment with him. My neurologist finally called me and I had an appointment with her where she told me I had a tumor that I already knew about. <laughs> he told oh, so, oh my gosh, what a conversation. That was interesting. But again, just God orchestrating this from the beginning of my life, of my heart and my passions of what I do for a living, just orchestrating all these people into my life to help me navigate. So we met with a neurosurgeon in Oklahoma City. We loved him. He made us feel super confident. And we decided I was going to get another MRI. It had been, I don't remember, a couple months maybe. So we decided to get another one, see what the changes were. Because at that time, I'd never had another MRI of my brain. So we had nothing to compare it to. We didn't know how fast it was growing. We didn't know anything about it. So we got another scan. It looks the same, which was a blessing and huge relief. And we decided that we would wait another couple of months, get another one. Based on Dr. Dunn's recommendations and all of the symptoms I was having or not having, because 
I do want to say that none of my symptoms were from my tumor. Every doctor agreed that Bell's palsy was not related to the tumor at all. That was just God's little wink of saying, hey, we've got to get this ball rolling so you can find out about this before you are having symptoms. So, you know, God is using our hardship all the time, even to take us to another hardship sometimes. Wow. They, they really, truly just thought the Bell's palsy shingles, all that stuff was a fluke, like mm-hmm. not a fluke, but, but yeah. an unrelated yeah. occurrence. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was the, I mean, every doctor said it's an incidental finding. You found it without reason, essentially. I wasn't wow. having any symptoms. So we met with the neurosurgeon and he told us, he said, I never want to tell a patient to not go on a family vacation, to not spend time with their family. So we definitely put priority on that and went on our trip. And then after we got back, that was September, we made plans to have surgery and got a date for November. Yeah. Wow. I think as you're talking, I am visualizing like how you shared on social media, this whole process, Mm -hmm. which was really beautiful, but it's like the story kind of unfolded for those of us who, one, we're not kind of in your inner, inner circle, like not the people getting text messages. Right. But like kind of the people just seeing what it was that you were sharing and you did such a beautiful job of bringing people, inviting people in, which is something that is so hard to do. And it's very hard to do well with vulnerability, with authenticity. And you really did that. So I'm even like visualizing pictures that you shared when you were like at your appointment to have surgery. And it felt even for me, like tears back in terms of people who know you, it felt in that week and that time that that was going on, that there was, I even had a sense that like, man, people are praying, people are rallying around the surgery. Like Dustin, I remember got home from work and was like, have you seen if Amanda's husband has posted anything? Like, anyway, so I wonder, would you talk a little bit about the surgery? What was that like and your experience with people stepping in to support you guys through it? I have never experienced prayer the same way I have over the past year. And there were times I couldn't pray. I was just in a bad headspace, but I knew I had so many people, people I knew, people I didn't even know that had become the support group for us. And whether it was Caleb's mom sending it out to her prayer group or our friends, you know, posting and sharing my story and then having new people pray for us. I mean, I could feel those prayers and we could see tangibly those prayers being answered. And People want to help and people, that's one thing I learned is people want to help. People want to care for you. They just don't know how to sometimes and they need to be or given ideas. And so praying is such an important thing. And we were receiving text messages, which sounds silly, but a text is so important. And I have all of these texts saved on my phone. I have Facebook Mm -hmm. messages saved on my phone, screenshots. People would send Bible verses or song lyrics. Songs are just one of the ways God speaks to me most most mm-hmm. audibly. Just the things people would think to to shower us with, to bless us with, was just something I learned a lot about 
through this experience is how to love people during hard times because Mm. it's not easy, but it is at the same time because like you were saying, I remember reading your little comments on my Facebook post, like Dustin and I are praying right now. And I believed it, you know, there's no reason I had not to believe that. And I'm taking all of that to heart. And I read every single one of those messages and thought, oh my goodness, like this is God. This is why this is happening. Because yes, you ask yourself, why me, God? And immediately he would answer, why not, Amanda? Why not? And I, I'm going to do something with this. With this, you just have to trust me. And so just in seeing the prayers or messages, I hope everyone else noticed that too. Like if you're not a praying person, I hope you're able to see the blessing, the miracle that has come from the story because God is in every single minute of it. Like he is a God of miracles and he is wanting other people to be involved. And I think that also is where praying comes in because this isn't just my story. It is your story, Emily. It is all these our family story because you're part of it and I kept trying to share that with people like I could not have done this on my own so every single prayer every single text message you know anything was important and is important and is eternal we just messaged about this on Instagram but I'm loving this work from this author named Kate Bowler and she actually had colon cancer when she was in her early 30s And so a lot of her writing kind of comes from the experience of being cared for and witnessing how it was hard for people to enter into our pain. Like Mm -hmm. people, you know, don't know how to do that. And her current book is called The Lives We Actually Have. And it's a book of blessings for the ordinary and the incredibly hard. And it's, you know, the fruit of what she experienced by being on the receiving end of all of this. But just matches so much. I think anyone who has ever walked through a season of being in the valley can resonate with. Like I listen to you and I think I've not had cancer. I've not, I've not wondered about my own health in that way, but I have walked through my own seasons of grief. And in that, one of my takeaways was I don't want this to hurt so badly, but I never want to go back to not knowing what I know now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I keep thinking there's several verses in the Bible that talk about this, but, you know, if this will point to you, then of course I will endure the suffering and paraphrasing. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I know this will all point back to Jesus and who he is. And so, of course, I want to, to continue the story that he's writing for me. I posted this quote not too long ago. And you had commented on it, but it says, it's the mercy of God that he does not show us everything that will unfold in the journey. All the hard would be too unbearable and the good would be too unbelievable. And uh, Jason Johnson said that. And I just, I, I get it now. And again, like you're saying, you don't want anyone, including yourself, to have to go through the grief you've gone, to, gone through. However, you see this different side of God. And and you learn about your community and your core people and you learn about yourself and all of that is meant to happen through it. The good is too unbelievable. These miracles are unbelievable. 
innocent. And I just, I can't imagine not going through this now and who I would be without it. That's so good. So good. Well, people who are listening now don't know the rest of the story. So will you pick back up with brain surgery? Yes. Yes. And then walk us through what happened next. Surgery was on November 3rd. And then, I mean, it was brain surgery. I woke up and was not feeling very good. (laughs) I was in quite a bit of pain. But the staff was amazing. Looking back on it now, I guess it's kind of like giving birth. (laughs) You would go through it again to get the same outcome. Thankfully, I have a physical therapist as a husband and was able to (laughs) help me (laughs) walk and get to the bathroom and all of those important things. Sit up in a chair. It was very painful. It was very, I mean, it wasn't pleasant, a pleasant experience, but we drove home just a couple of days later. I think, you know, maybe 48 hours later, 72 hours later, we were home. Which is insane. It is insane. I had brain surgery and then was home two days later. Wow. Yes. To think, to think that that's just what happens. Our bodies are incredible and Mm -hmm. healing themselves. So we came home and we still had, you know, all the people helping us. But to keep the kids and the kids were so great. They knew mommy had a fibula in her brain and they had to get it out so that I could get better. And they knew that they couldn't jump on me and, you know, be rowdy toddlers like they are. But they were great and they were so excited. One of my best friends had kept the kids and made all these fun cards and activities and things like that. And then we had family members watching the kids and it was just Knowing that our people would drop everything to help us is just a humbling experience. So recovery was up and down. I would feel really good. I I mean, I slept a lot, dark and quiet with my friend because I was still having a lot of triggers from light and movement and things like that. But overall, recovery was really good. I just I can't describe it any other way. I'd say my stamina was the last thing to come back, just my energy. So I do things for a little bit and then sleep a lot. Going into the surgery, was there a lot of concern or worry about what you would be like after brain surgery? I mean, is that like not, I'm a blank slate on that kind of thing. So I wondered like, did the, were the, do the doctors know enough they can counsel you on what to expect or were there a lot of unknowns? So I would say from the doctor's standpoint, he had no concern. From my standpoint, I had several concerns. And I think that was just another crazy this moment of the skill of the doctor I had. And because, yes, the tumor was abutting my brain stem, the brain stem, you know, it's really important. <laughs> and so... We, they found out during surgery, there was an artery wrapped around the tumor. He was able to get the entire, the artery off, salvaging the artery and getting the entire tumor with, with that. He had to open up, it was partly in my fourth ventricle, which your brain has ventricles that, you know, your spinal fluid flows throughout and where your spinal fluid is created. So yes, there were concerns on my end, but. It was crazy. It was like the doctor's office just didn't have any concerns. Like, this is going to go great. And my surgery took longer than expected. This is the part where, you know, Caleb's input, my parents' input is different than mine because I'm just, you know, I'm out of it on a 
exam table on a surgery table and they're waiting on me. And I, that wait, I sure was just awful. And then afterwards I did, I had to wait a really long time in PACU, which is where you go after surgery to wait on a room. And during that time, your family's supposed to see you. They did, I guess, call Caleb and let me talk to him. I don't remember any of this. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they put me in an isolation room and let Caleb and my parents see. And he was, Caleb was able to stay with me until I made it to a room. So yeah, we did find out all the information about the surgery. When I talked to the doctor the next day, he was showing me. We did an MRI right after surgery. He showed me my new MRI that just basically showed a lot of surgical changes. There was no tumor we could see, but again, it just looked different because I had experienced trauma in a sense because of surgery. But we had a starting point from here on out and then explained all the surgery and everything, which in detail, which was super helpful for my detail oriented mind and one thing to know all the information also so then we went home and had recovery and it just went really well life was just slow this was november and so i still did all the things for thanksgiving i mean i didn't cook anything but (laughs) i still went and saw family you got a pass this year got a pass (laughs) And we traveled and, you know, we did, we did get to see everyone. And that was really special because I didn't know what to expect. And I was nervous, you know, am I going to be the same person? Am I going to have my same personality? And, you know, these are just things, again, like you don't know until you ask or do research. And so I'm like, I want to be the same person. I want to have the same ability. That played a huge role on if I was going to have surgery or not. And the other thing is, I, we were never going to truly know what this tumor was until we took it out. Because of its location, we couldn't do a biopsy. So I either live wondering, which is not mm. my cup of tea, or we have surgery and get it out of there and find out what we're truly dealing with. And lots of people choose different things, but this is the best route for me to find out what it was. And to move mm-hmm. forward after that. So we've alluded to the fact that you had a cancer diagnosis, but up until this point in the story, we don't, like you said, we don't know yet. So would you share what the diagnosis was, what happened after surgery and sure. how that, the rest of the story played out? Sure. So pathology actually took a long time to come back. I've been told several times I'm just a unicorn, which Bella loved. She's in the unicorn, so it's just perfect. My cancer is called an ependymoma, and it's not one you hear about very often. And if you do, they're found a lot of times in children. And so just the fact that here I am, this adult, with this, the pathology was taking longer to confirm. Also, this is a really rare tumor. I think it's like 1% of all brain tumors in this or something crazy like that. Wow. And so... There's just not a lot of research, not a lot of studies, not especially with adults on how to move forward. So then it was kind of like, okay, now we're going to go through all the motions of we're going to send you to an oncologist, we're going to send you to a radiation oncologist, and we're going to figure out what to do next. And that process took a really long time. And that was hard because by 
think I thought after surgery and after pathology, we would just kind of know where to go next. And I didn't think it would take as long as it did. But I went to a neuro-oncologist in Oklahoma City. And so she only deals with, you know, the brain, spinal cord um, types of tumors. And I ended up needing to do a full body or a full fine MRI because with ependymomas, it can not only be in the brain, but it's likely it could go to your spinal cord. And then I needed to do a lumbar puncture to make sure it wasn't in my cerebral spinal fluid. So those were things I had to get done. So this is December at this point and Christmas is coming up and New Year's and of course holidays and we always make scheduling kind of crazy. So we did end up getting, I think, everything done by like the first week of January. All the scans and the, and the tests. My MRI came back amazing. No signs of tumors in my spine or in my brain still. I was waiting on my lumbar puncture results. And so several weeks had passed. I was told it could take up to a month. Several weeks had passed and I hadn't heard anything. So I called them and they said, oh my goodness. It lost your CSF. Oh my so gosh. So you're going to have to do this again. Huh. So just kind of another little hiccup in the story, but again, we did it and we knew within 24 hours that all of the information was good that time. So that was great, but wow. a long waiting period. I mean, I'm not a very, I'm not a very patient person. So waiting has been a strong theme through this whole thing too. Wait. Wait and hope. And that reminds me of like the Count of Monte Cristo back in high school. <laughs> Edmund <Wow. Dante's. laughs> Nice reference. Oh. <laughs> Man. So, so where do things stand now? After all of my results came back great, the best case scenario, I met with radiation because with my type of cancer, we wouldn't do chemo. And so I met with radiation to see what I do. So we were waiting on those tests because if either of those tests would have come back positive, I would have definitely had radiation. So now that they've come back negative, it's like, okay, so what do we do from here? So I met with a doctor in Oklahoma City, but I also knew I wanted to meet with my doctors here at home because mm-hmm. they're the ones I've worked with for a decade and trust. Mm-hmm. And my doctor at work is just phenomenal. He is the most intelligent man and knows his stuff, researches everything. And when Caleb and I met with him, it was finally the icing on the cake where after that appointment, I felt, wow, I can celebrate. I feel done with this part of the story. He just gave me so much hope and reassurance. And from his side, you know, it's research and, and book things, which is wonderful. And I had faith, which we all need faith and the things from that aspect, but I needed it to come from science as well. Because I, mm-hmm. again, I've just, this is a world I've known for a long time and I needed to see some numbers. <laughs> so he found mm-hmm. me some numbers because, I don't know, a lot of times I just keep thinking, like, I'm not just a statistic here, but research is good and so he showed us some studies that were showing you don't need radiation. You don't need radiation. You, you know, you don't need chemo. 
And on top of that, we did genetic studies on my tumor with pathology. And because of these genetic studies and what your markers say, Amanda, you have the best of the best scenario here. And that was just so encouraging for me. And, you know, could this come back? Sure. Is it going to? I don't know, maybe in 20 to 30 years. And that's really really, really good to hear from my heart and my mind and thinking about my children and Caleb. And that's not everyone's story, but man, I am so thankful that it's been part of mine and that my doctor has been was so thorough in explaining all that to me and giving me that hope, not just saying, yes, you're good. You don't need radiation, but saying, this is why, this is why you should feel confident. And and with that, this is why we're thanking Jesus for not just getting this tumor out, letting us find out about it, but all the way down to our DNA, the DNA of this tumor. And so it's just been really special to have gone through that whole process and then meet with my doctor there at the end and finally feel like, wow, I can exhale again and fully exhale, not just feel like I'm like on this marathon anymore yeah wow you posted a picture of you and Caleb and your parents with (laughs) like champagne glasses and like when you look at it you can like see little children in the background (laughs) what a sacred picture you know of your people doing the things that your people did and then being able to say look what God has done in my story. And I think that was the post. You kind of made a call for people to like celebrate with you to tell you the good that God has done in their lives. And I just thought, what a beautiful sort of capstone to this story, to this journey. Not that your story is done. I think God's still for sure going to be using it, but what a beautiful celebratory marker at the end of this process to like toast, like God's good. Tell me more about his goodness. Everyone who's been a part of the story. Yeah. So beautiful. And it was special because I had had so many friends, even before we'd had those appointments say, you deserve to celebrate now. I mean, I had friends Mm -hmm. bring me pies or just special treats, sending me fun mail or text messages like, you deserve to celebrate. And it's true. Every single one of those milestones deserves celebration. And I was very thankful for those friends and family reminding me of that because sometimes there isn't that Hollywood moment that deserves to be cheered. But every single little moment can and is deserving so yeah mm-hmm. that that moment there that evening was just really special for our family and for our friends that have gone through all this with us and even since I feel like every little get together is just celebration for me because yeah I, I just the unknown is scary so yeah yeah you've done a beautiful job sharing it when we talked on the phone you talked about there's purpose in our pain and so I wondered if you would just share a little bit about what have you learned from this how's it shaped your view of suffering and how has it influenced your hope I think before this whole experience suffering was something I myself could not grasp I mean I had gone through hard things in life but 
nothing I would call suffering. And I'd witnessed it. And I didn't know how to care for people in their season of suffering. This is another interesting correlation that God set up for us. But I found out about the tumor the week of Easter. And so it was on that Thursday. And I was, and I've been reflecting this year on that. Of, this is the day that Jesus would be with his disciples and shared that last, you know, and wash their feet and then ask God, God, if it's, if it's your will, remove this from me, remove the suffering that I know is coming. And then he, he died on the cross and experienced that suffering for us. And not that I'm comparing what I went through to Jesus' suffering, but we can definitely learn more about suffering and therefore out of it comes hope and so I believe and I read something not too long ago that says you know we suffer and we experience hardship so that we can then teach and help the next generation of sufferers because Mm. you don't know how to suffer until you're in the midst of it and a lot of times it feels like there's this line like for me before the tumor and now after the tumor and what is life like and how is it different and it's because it's forever changed and there's in the suffering there's this period of mourning that I went through and I mentioned even with the Bell's palsy just physically I was mourning what I used to look like how I used to feel and then with a brain tumor I'm mourning the life that I had without a tumor those the ease of thinking about the future because one thing I struggled a lot with was thinking of planning for things in the future I I that day-by-day life was what I had to cling to and so during this whole process I needed to find that hope where I could hope for the future again and so in the midst of the grief in the midst of the mourning I had to find that hope and navigate how to join the morning with the dancing because we read Mm -hmm. about that in scripture and it's never meant to be one or the other it's always meant to be intertwined you don't Mm -hmm. realize that sometimes until we're in the midst of suffering in the midst Mm -hmm. of the morning um, in the valley god is going to use the hardships and that was hard to see at the beginning like how god how are you going to use this you know, if I die, how is that good for my kids? How is that? How can good come from that? I thought all those thoughts and I would tell Caleb, like, I'm in a good position. If this, if this is going to take my life, like I get to go to heaven, but my kids and my family and Caleb are here without me. And I just don't see the good in that right now. Mm -hmm. And through worship song because it was hard for me to read the bible during this experience and so through worship through other people sending me verses and passages of scripture i was able to be reminded of god's goodness and how even when it doesn't feel good god is so good even when the results aren't good even when the future doesn't look good and the statistics aren't good. God is still good. And I'll never forget a friend telling me as she was sitting in her mother's hospital room as she was dying, you know, God, you're good. God, you're good. God, you're faithful. And I Mm -hmm. just, that is so hard to 
to think about any hard moments, you know, that someone could actually be thinking, God, you're so good. Even when it doesn't feel good, you're good. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Like when I'm faithless, he is faithful. When in my weakness, he is able. And the first time the song, but they just pour through my pour, th- pour through my mind and help reassure me through this whole experience. Is there anything else that you wanted to say that like or capture that I haven't asked you? I want to reiterate the importance of our people that have rallied with us and our mine and Caleb's and our family's gratitude toward them because I couldn't have done this alone and I didn't have to thankfully. They were my faith when I couldn't have faith sometimes. And I just remember there were certain people that would say, Amita, like, God is just so good. And he is going to bring you out of this. And I needed to hear all those things in all of those moments. And I needed mm-hmm. all the messages, every text. So just me learning how to be a better friend, a better supporter during hard times. Like, I've learned this experience, how to help others better. And I hope that I can continue that. And never forget this season and how people have cared for us. Thank you. Your story is beautiful and I want to meet Caleb. <laughs> you guys should come over for dinner. Your family. Our kids would have so much fun. Very rowdy. It would be fun. We'll kick outside. <laughs> okay, here's what I want to ask you that's a fun thing. And that is, what are you looking forward to this year? I kind of mentioned before, everything I do is just a celebration. And I just have the spirit of thankfulness. So, I mean, I'm so looking forward to summer, to the kids being out of school, to getting to go all the places and spend more time with them. Caleb and I have a couple of vacations planned. We're going to the beach. We're going on an adult-only trip with some of our community group. <laughs> yay so we just have so many things and I think a lot of it is just yes let's just celebrate all the time and look forward to everything because this time last year my headspace was not the same and it was not as easy to enjoy even the little things so everything is a big thing yeah I love that everything is a big thing that's great (laughs) I love it Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've been as captivated and encouraged by Amanda's story as I have been, you can follow her on social media at Brown Tribe of Five. I'll link that in the show notes. And when I post this, she posts often about her regular days at home with three kids, but she also includes a lot of beautiful reflections on life after cancer. I hope you'll follow her. All right. We are headed to the beach to day. Like I'm recording this and my husband is in the garage loading the van. So I'm going to unplug a little bit after posting this episode. If you haven't already joined us for our summer study of James, check out those episodes and I'll be back in a little over a week with more things to remember and tell. Have a great week.